Welcome to All Fired Up. I'm Louise, your host, and this is the podcast where we talk all things anti-diet. Has diet culture got you in a fit of rage? Is the injustice of the beauty ideal getting your knickers in a twist? Does Fitspo make you want a Spitspo? Are you ready to hurl if you hear one more weight loss tip? Are you ready to be mad, loud and proud? Well, you've come to the right place. Let's get all fired up. Hello, diet culture dropouts. It's me and I'm back for another fresh steaming pile of diet culture bullshit in this week's episode of All Fired Up. I just want to start this week by thanking everyone for messages of just complete outrage from the last episode inside the Obesity Collective, where me and my fabulous guest, Mandy Lee Noble, dove deep into the bowels of um, what's happening inside some of Australia's ostensibly obesity expert organisations and how they're basically being driven by big pharma. I was really heartened by how much outrage and pushback there has been when people have listened to this episode. And I very much encourage you, if you haven't listened already, go and listen to this episode before you have a look at this week's and spread it far and wide because these messages that we hear in our media and from these organisations really being driven by a pharma agenda, people wanting to sell us weight loss drugs and keep the whole kind of hysteria epidemic message going as a way of diverting our attention from what is a really basically a very shoddy practice. <sighs> so annoying. So before we get into this week's fabulous episode, I want to let you all know about some free stuff very important. If you haven't already downloaded our free ebook, Everything You've Been Told About Weight Loss is Bullshit by me and the fabulous anti-dietitian Fiona Willer, what are you waiting for? Go and get it right now. In it, we're busting the top 10 myths that are floating around diet culture regarding the relationship between weight and health and questioning all things about diets. The fact is, losing weight or trying to pursue a smaller body is not the only way to health <laughs> and in fact can often stop us from enjoying fabulously balanced health improvements. So it's an absolute must read this ebook. You can give it to your partner, to your friends, to your health professionals who uh, really need to hear this message as well because we're all just getting fed the same old tripe from diet culture and not everything we're being told is true. We must bust this myth wide open. So you can get this free ebook by downloading it from the website untrapped.com.au. It should just pop up as a free download and you can grab it there. If you can't get it there, you can head to Instagram and my Instagram account is untrapped underscore au and you can click on my bio link and download the free ebook straight from there. I also want to shout out to everyone in Untrapped, the beautiful online community and program that is responsible for making sure that All Fired Up comes out on a semi-regular basis. If you guys are struggling at all with the dieting stuff, diet head, hating your body, feeling driven and unsafe or binging, anything around food, exercise your body and you're just, you just absolutely can't do another diet, then Untrapped is the program for you. I created it almost two years ago alongside 12 wonderful, dear to my heart, 
anti-diet colleagues and health professionals. It's an awesome program. I'm just going to say it. And it can really turn things around. So if you're interested to find out more about Untrapped, go to the website, untrapped.com.au or again through the Instagram handle, untrapped underscore au and click on the link in the bio to find out more about Untrapped. And as a, there's a special offer, so if you do decide to, to join us in Untrapped, if you type in the code word, ready for it, fierce compassion, or one word, at the checkout, you will enjoy a fabulous discount off the price. So go to it and get in there and get to know us because we are all lovely. Also, I just wanted to let people know that I do offer online consultations. Yay! Every Thursday, I have opened up my books and am happy to take on people from all over the world to talk about this anti-diet stuff and how you can bring it to life. So whether or not you're a health professional, if you're a health professional looking for supervision in this area, I am your woman. Or if you are a human who is struggling and you want face-to-face contact, I'm here for you as well. So all you have to do is go to untrapped.com.au and click on the link, book an appointment, and I will be in your lounge room almost before you know it. How exciting. So this week's episode, I am fully pumped about this. My special guest is the awesome Dr. Carolyn White. She is an occupational therapist and a health promotion lecturer in Melbourne in Australia. And through her extensive clinical experiences and in her PhD research, Carolyn has really formed a very strong belief that good mental health is a foundation for people's overall health and really thinks very strongly that we should not be centering or favoring physical health over mental health. And this actually is a subject that totally gets her fired up. Carolyn is a really strong advocate for holistic and person-centered healthcare, and she's just a passionate advocate. She does so much behind the scenes that you just wouldn't even guess. She's kind of everywhere, and she's the very dedicated president at the moment of Hayes Australia, and I just absolutely adore Carolyn, and we had an amazing conversation about something that really pissed both of us off quite a lot this thing called the push-up challenge which you will hear all about and we will dig into that and without further ado I give you me and the wonderful Carolyn. So Carolyn thank you so much for coming on the show. No worries Louise pleasure to be here. And what is firing you up at the moment? Ooh, well, I'm fired up about a post that was recently shared by um, a Facebook, sorry, on Facebook by uh, Headspace in Harvey Bay. So they shared a post about a push-up challenge that was happening to raise awareness of suicide and in the process raising money for um, Headspace sites across Australia. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Queensland. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. So Maybe as far as for, I know. For, um, people who are listening who are not Australian, Headspace yeah. is a, so in Australia, there's, it's a nationwide network of mental health treatment centres that are targeted at adolescents and young people. So they, Headspace get a lot of government funding and a lot of sort of attention in the media uh, about the services that they offer to kids and young people around Australia. So, yeah, so their mission is to um, provide tailored and holistic mental health support to um, people aged 12 to 25. And they also kind of focus on early intervention. So getting in early so that 
um, mental illnesses don't take hold and they also support people with their physical health as well. Interesting ways like this quote-unquote push-up challenge. That's right, yep. Yeah, so that from what I can tell from the, um, the website, um, the push-up challenge was started by a bunch of mates who were passionate about bringing people together. So the challenge involved doing 3,128 push-ups, so one for each person lost to suicide in 2017. So they've been doing it for um, a year from what I understand. So they needed to do those 3,128 push-ups within one month, which seems a lot. Well, it's like a hundred, it's over a hundred push-ups a day. Wow. Yeah. And like, I mean, just so many thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I've never been a sporty spice, so I think I'd be struggling to do about 10 push-ups. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I mean, of course, from my corner, the very first thing that pops up for me is why are Headspace supporting an initiative, which is actually well, it's supposedly to bring awareness to suicide and to mental health problems, but why would you support an initiative that uses the symptoms of a major mental illness, i.e. eating disorder, i.e. compulsive exercise, to raise awareness of mental illness? It just seems very ill-advised to me. Absolutely, and particularly when you consider that eating disorders are the one of the conditions that has the highest mortality rate, particularly from suicide among young people. So... Mm. It's, yeah, quite potentially. Yeah. yeah. I think um, this initiative was started by, you said, a bunch of blokes. Yeah. So the guy, I looked him up, his name is Nick Hudson and he's from Perth and he's a bloke. He's a white Aussie bloke in his mid-30s. And I don't really understand which story is correct because I found two media articles on him. One of them said that he's had had heart surgery when he was a little boy. And then when he got a bit older into his mid-30s, his fitness started to decline and he realised he needed more heart surgery. And that sort of made him depressed. And one of the ways he came out of his depression was to start this push-up challenge. So that was in one paper. And then in another article, which is roughly written around the same time, it was quite bizarre. And let me tell you, I'm going to put in the show notes the picture that captioned this particular news article was like Fitzbo on steroids, which annoyed me. But in that article, it said that the inspiration for this came from his father, who had depression for many years, but never told him and his brother. Mm -hmm. so he said when he found out about it, he did some quote unquote research on mental health learned a lot and he said some of my mates and I were doing push-ups as part of our regular fitness and so he decided to turn it into something more so you know, odd different unusual to find it's interesting that he's there's two different stories yeah. like I suppose there can be um, a hereditary kind of thing with mental illnesses so you know it's possible that both could have happened but it's interesting yeah. that um yeah he's spoke about different experiences in different interviews very odd because usually when people are doing this kind of awareness raising they have the same story that sort of gets repeated mm. throughout the media but yeah I mean just the kind of I guess the privilege that is reflected in this kind of um, attitude that to come out of depression you need to do a few push-ups yeah and <laughs> I'm glad that that happened for him yeah, that's right. And it, you know, that's fabulous that that worked for him. But um, yeah, uh, depression is a lot more complex than that. And you know, a lot of people need much more than just push-ups to recover from their, their mm -hmm. illness. 
and many people that I see day in, day out need to stay the hell away from push-ups and counting push-ups. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, oh, and don't forget that when this sort of blew up, it was the Harvey Bay headspace place and that is Queensland. <laughs> yeah. But he wasn't only talking about push-ups. He started, he posted about sugar didn't yeah, he? that's right. He did. Yeah, there was a, um, a post that was talking about how um, high levels of sugar make it more likely that you'll develop mental ill health in the future. And oh. <laughs> the increased sugar intake is associated with more severe symptoms in depression. So just, just get fucked. Interesting. Really. <laughs> I've never really heard that correlation before. Yeah. And like I suppose I'm an occupational therapist, so commenting on the effects of sugar on mental health is beyond my scope of practice. But having worked in mental health and community settings, the kind of the impact of these kind of messages on an adolescent who might be struggling with their mental ill health, I find really problematic. (laughs) Yeah, this makes me want to throw things when Mm. this, I don't think this, I think this person who posted is a personal trainer from memory and just really outside any kind of scope of expertise making a statement like that and I I do think he got hauled over the coals by many mental health professionals and practitioners and because it really it it just beggars belief that that you can make such a sweeping statement like you said thinking of the audience of um, teenagers yeah who you know in Australia teenagers are really hung up on food and health and body image and have have enormous rates of eating disorder symptomology Mm, that is just being overlooked in this sort of health obsession epidemic that we're suffering from. Yeah, definitely. Well, the Mission Australia Youth Survey that comes out every year, in the latest one in 2018, 30% of Australian young people reported being very or extremely concerned about their mental health and their body image. So they were equally concerned about their body image as their mental health. And like with most things around body image, there was a higher level of concern around um, young women as well. So Mm -hmm. I suppose that gender dynamics between a bloke pushing this challenge and then the impact that that might have on young women. Um, right, yeah. Really, yeah. Yeah, it's gross and disgusting and yeah. I don't think it's been thought through very well. No. It's a really right. disturbingly high statistic, isn't it? Oh, it is. Yeah, it's yeah. Like one, in, one in three adolescents. So, oh, But it makes sense of my next set of scary statistics because... Yeah. Um, I had a look at a paper that's just come out from 2019 looking at the point prevalence of eating disorder symptoms in Aussie adolescents yep. because we know they're on the right, we know they're common, I know they're common, but yep. to actually kind of figure out using some data about how frequently people are suffering. So this paper, it was data from 5,000 Aussie teenagers who were aged from 11 to 19 and the prevalence, so... of teenagers meet diagnostic criteria for an eating disorder, which that's one in five kids. Yeah, that's full on. So one in three three kids and young people have real issues with their body image and one in five have diagnosable eating disorders. I mean, that is, I mean, in girls, it's it's phenomenal. It's 33% of girls. Yeah. And in boys it's it's twelve point eight percent. So, you know, this is this is what we should be really centering here. 
Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And like Headspace um, serves people with um, with eating disorders. So the idea of like extreme fitness challenges and then looking through the push-up challenges Instagram posts, they represent a really narrow range of bodies and very, very much ideal bodies. But yeah. then this sugar post where they're moralizing food, it just creates an environment that compromises a person's treatment and recovery if they are experiencing um, eating disorder symptoms that is a very polite way of saying it's a complete head fuck (laughs) 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 absolutely (laughs) i'm not much of a swearer I, I just, you know, this really winds me up that, I mean, just the, uh, I wonder, because obviously, you know, this, this wasn't an, an initiative that was started by Headspace. This was started by Nick and his blokes yep. and he's raising the funds and giving them to Headspace, which is yep. lovely and go for it. Yeah. But it's just the people at Headspace really thinking this through. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. And if you think about Headspace kind of being from the ages of 12 to 25, like that's a time when kids are starting to move from black and white thinking into more abstract thinking. And like if you've got 13-year-olds who've got their first Facebook page or account and they're looking at the Headspace page and come across this post about sugar, like Mm -hmm. they don't have that cognitive and thinking skills to be able to kind of see the nuance in the message. So there's a real risk that people will see rather than avoid added sugar, the adolescent might interpret it as do not eat sugar under any circumstances. Oh, well, that is at the moment in my clinical practice, that that's kind of my life at the moment. Is it? Yeah. (laughs) It's seeing seeing, um, young kids who are being exposed to messaging, well-meaning messaging, yeah, that does moralise food or demonise sugar in particular. Uh, like basically, anyone in high school should not watch that sugar film. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh, that's hideous. <laughs> yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head. They're, they're black and white thinkers, so mm. it's not a nuanced understanding. Yeah, it's I'm not going to eat sugar, and that the development of orthorexia is very quick. At, yeah, I mean, adolescence is the peak time for development of an eating disorder. 14 years old is when, you know, the highest risk time is. And like you said, that's exactly the age they get social media. Yeah. And if their own, like, national agency for mental health is demonising sugar and posting how many push-ups some muscle-bound dude Mm -hmm. or super tanned... Who's um, double their age. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) There's also a lot of, um, like, YouTube women in Lorna Jane doing this challenge and oh this is this is not what we need to be focusing on no that's right and I think like for kids to be able to when you're struggling as a kid um, and needing some support you want a safe place to go to so like Headspace is doing some great stuff around diversity so recognizing cultural diversity recognizing gender diversity and sexual orientation as well but they also need to incorporate body diversity into that so that people who um are in different sized bodies can just come and feel comfortable in that, in that place. Yeah, that is so important and it's it's absolutely missing. Yeah. And that paper that I was talking about before with the point prevalence of eating disorders in adolescence, yep. all of the statistics show that the eating disorder rates were higher in kids with higher body weights. Yeah, yep. people who are bigger yep. have eating disorders more often. Yeah, and if Headspace is just full of gym bunnies doing workouts, 
and that's okay. all that's represented on their social media, then that's oh, a real issue. Hello. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I missed the point. <laughs> I missed the point, but the point's right there. On their website, they have several sections where they talk about eating disorders and the symptoms of eating disorders, and sentences begin with excessive exercise is a symptom of an eating disorder. Yeah, preoccupation with exercise or bodybuilding, thinking yeah. about um, yeah. body appearance a lot of the time. Yeah, just beggars belief. Yep. <laughs> he has raised, like, he has been very successful, right? How much money yeah. did you say he'd raised for Headspace? So he's, they've raised over $2.5 million for Headspace, which is a pretty phenomenal amount. So it's um, <sighs> it done is. a great job, but just needs to work on the, um, the methods. <laughs> Also, you know, Headspace are not struggling for funding. No, it's true. <laughs> this is my little soapbox, perhaps. I mean, I do think Headspace are doing some good stuff, but they get like shitloads of money. They get nine, there's 107 Headspace centres in Australia, 107. They get $95 million a year from the government to run. They have just been awarded another $50 million. and. So that's just to fund the centres, right? The psychologists yeah. who work within Headspace, yeah. when they yeah. see an adolescent for a structured number of sessions, yeah. they bill Medicare for those sessions. Yeah. And the psychologists most of the time are contractors, so they're not employees of Headspace. They're just taking a percentage of that fee. Yeah. So Headspace is funded massively from the government and then they get their billings on top of that and then people are giving them even more money through initiatives like that. And yeah. I look at that and I think of how very few beds we have for people with severe eating disorders. I think of like just the, the enormous amount of need that we have in mental health services. Yeah. And, you know, it just seems to be... Uh, Staggering. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, the, the, the popular people get, or the popular ideas get fun. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I think within mental health services, there's, um, you know, a couple of big, big brands, I suppose you could call it, that get a lot of the funding. And then there's other services who are doing like work that's equally good or, and, you know, possibly even reaching kind of, you know, more people within their, their local area and they don't, you know, they're operating on a shoestring. So it's mm -hmm. re really inequitable. Yeah. So if anyone out there is listening and they're thinking of raising funds for mental health, don't give it to Headspace, all right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm sure we can put you in touch with other more, well, other worthy causes. <laughs> it is interesting, isn't it? Because this Nick guy and Headspace sort of running this whole campaign on the idea that exercise is really good for mental health. And there's this sort of push to mental health to kind of include, quote unquote, lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. So that's something that's kind of come about. Um, I've, like, really, I've seen the change across my career. So when I first started working as an occupational therapist unit, um, I worked in a maximum security hospital. Um, maximum yeah. security hospital? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yes, yeah, so I remember you saying that you'd worked in a prison uh -huh. um, as your first job. Well, that was my first job too. <laughs> oh, wow. We're, we're prison sisters. We are, yep. <laughs> so at that time, like there was this report that came out of Western Australia and it was looking at the real kind of disparity between the physical health of people with, um, with 
mental illness and the life expectancy gap there. So like I've kind of always had this awareness that the physical health of people with mental illnesses is often poorer and working with people within the justice system like you see it all so you see people everyday people who develop a mental illness and commit an offense but you also see people who've grown up in um, extreme poverty and you also see people who have lived with trauma um, through their lives so all that kind of mixed up together has a really significant impact on their health and just like over the last couple of years, they've really kind of started to focus much more on um, the physical health of people with mental illness and kind of bringing policymakers' attention to that issue. So the National Mental Health Commission, they drafted up a consensus statement where a number of um, different health professionals, um, mental health professionals came together and wrote up this statement of how we can better address the physical health of people with mental illnesses. So some of the stats are just astounding (laughs) yeah so so like in Australia one in five people have a a mental illness and 16% of Australians live with both a physical health condition and mental health condition so if you have both then your life expectancy gap compared to the general population is 15.9 years for men and then 12 years for women oh my god so isn't that horrendous? So it's like, it's, that um, is, and that's like, a conservative statement. So I think around the world, it can be up to 20% or 20 years life expectancy gap, which is just staggering. It's more yeah. like where it's smoking. Oh, it's, it's, it's just, I'm gobsmacked by that. Yeah. yeah. So like a couple of years ago, I was doing a project where people, so there was the Partners in Recovery, which was an initiative that was to support people with complex um, mental illness. And within that program, there were three people who died within a short, really short time frame. And so like when I heard that, I thought, oh, maybe it was suicide. And that's why these people are dying. But then when we dug a bit deeper and found out the real reasons, one person had died of a heart attack, another person, one person had killed themselves. And then another person, what was the other person, died in their sleep of natural causes. So, oh my goodness. And that's kind of representative of the, of the stats. So, so among kind of this, when people do die early with a mental illness, most of that is due to physical health conditions rather than dying from suicide. Yeah. And what kind of physical health conditions most often correlated? The main kind of issues are um, to do with cardiometabolic disease. So things like um, heart disease, stroke, diabetes and metabolic syndrome. Okay. Um, So so all of of the things that get caught up in the quote unquote obesity. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Interesting. (laughs) That's right. So it's, um, and so like within mental health services with this growing awareness of people's greater likelihood to have physical health conditions um, they've been trying to work out how to address this so one of the ways has been to kind of hone in on on people's weight oh Um, great so which is just what people with mental illness need (laughs) Uh, you know they need a good push-up don't they They yeah that's right yep so I think like people with mental illness are more likely to have a BMI over 35 than the general population, but that's not because, you know, they're eating poorly or not doing enough exercise. A lot of it is to do with medication-related weight gain. Yeah. Um, so it's, um, they're doing something positive for their health by taking medications to support their mental health, but as a side effect, they're gaining significant amounts of weight. So I think... Yeah, focusing in on weight is really problematic among this population. Yeah. It's really unfair. 
but it's yeah. it's it's really common. Yeah. So I think the antipsychotic medications, in particular, yeah. and medications, some medications for bipolar. Yeah, even uh, some of the um, the antidepressants um, yeah. have weight gain yeah. side effects as well. Yes, that's yeah. right. And um, I find I'll be talking to a client who either A, is really struggling, you know, doing just sort of talk therapy and has recurrent depression and might even benefit from medication and has been recommended to give it a go, but yeah. will not give it a go because of weight gain fear because mm. maybe they have an eating disorder, maybe they just do not want to gain weight under any circumstances yeah. or people going off medications because yeah. they are gaining weight and they don't yeah. feel okay about it. And that, yeah, yeah. Oh, it just you know, it really brings home weight stigma and how at all costs the drive for thinness is yep. valued above everything else. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think like I um, have my own kind of experience of that. So when I was at university, I was um, I went through a period of time where I was really struggling and um, through my workplace, I got a referral to their employee assistance program and started, started seeing a psychologist and then the psychologist kind of picked up on that I had um, symptoms of depression. So I was kind of waking up early in the morning and appetite changes and not feeling like, you know, getting up in the morning and all of that sort of stuff. So I referred to the, the doctor and um, yeah, so the doctor put me on, um, on antidepressants. So, you know, I was someone who'd grown up with in privilege and then the, um, the what I recognize now is in privilege, but um, yeah, I think just, having that experience of being put on these medications and then, you know, the potential for weight gain, it was really, you know, quite confronting. Yeah. 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 So, it's, and I think like, yeah, for, for people to be kind of putting that concern about their, their body image, like first and foremost, I think that's totally understandable in our culture. Um, yeah. But it just really makes me sad that people's mental health and their prospects for recovery might be compromised because of that societal pressure. Yeah, 100% agree. It's it's yeah. a real tough thing. And that's, you know, I always kind of go back to that fantasy of if we lived in a truly weight-inclusive society, how mental illness would be experienced differently yeah. <laughs> without, yeah. without this, you know, slice of weight stigma suffering going into this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's just like, because there's already stigma around mental illness. Um, and then when you kind of lump weight stigma on top of that, yeah, and it just kind of compounds the disadvantage um, that people experience. Yeah, I think people with mental illness already have lower rates of participation in the workforce and that sort of thing. And then you know they gain weight when they're on medication. They may be mentally well, but living in a larger body. And if they're discriminated further because of their weight, it just really kind of perpetuates that negative cycle. Yeah, yeah. With so many intersections of yeah. of stigma and oppression. And just even that, like just constant experiences of exclusion and prejudice is, mm -hmm. that's, that's really weathering on yeah. someone's mental health. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And unfortunately, like, yeah, a lot of the um, organisations that champion physical health conditions, they don't think about mental illness whatsoever. So they, they don't think about the impact of their campaigns on, on people's mental health and the fact that, you know, by compounding weight stigma, then that can be a trigger for anxiety and depression for people who are in larger bodies. It's just irresponsible. Yeah. It's not thought of, right? Yeah, like we, it's such big stats. Like so many people, country, 
yep. are going to be suffering from a mental illness and yet they're, they're not considered no. <laughs> in no. these campaigns. No, not at all. No. No, which is like, yeah, it's, it's shocking when you think about people with mental illness being more likely to get these health conditions than the general population. Like mental health should be people's first, first consideration. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, it's not. I suppose the fact that they're not considered is another form of entrenched stigma, isn't it? Yeah, they're just erased and yeah. not kind of visible anywhere. Mm. Yeah. It's very depressing. Mm, it is depressing. <laughs> 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 oh, dear. And like, yeah, unfortunately, it goes back a long way. So this whole concept of the mind and body being separate goes right back to the 1600s where there was a French philosopher who kind of, he was championing the scientific method and the separation of the body from the mind. Yes. Um, yeah, so that's where it all started. But I think we need to come out of the, the 1600s and into yeah. the 2000s and 19s <laughs> yeah yeah but that's um, some changes is is it called dualism that kind yeah, of yeah yeah mind body dualism yes well yeah. i remembered something from uni thank you oh there you go <laughs> yeah mind, mind and body are not separate no that's right no and physical and mental health can't be separated either no no absolutely um, and it's yeah. super dangerous when we do I don't know if you remember when we first met Louise. Um, <laughs> I was thinking about this actually. And we were at this um, obesity and eating disorders um, conference. Pardon the, um, the language there. Oh, my God, um, we were in Brisbane, yes. Yeah, that was <laughs> – I think you and Fiona Willer talked about it in another podcast episode. But um, Yes, it's the one where she got pointed at when she was pregnant. Yes. That's right, yeah. And I got told off for being irresponsible. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but at that conference, I don't know if you went to there, there was a presentation that was given about the Live Lighter campaign. So they had one speaker from the Cancer Council talking about um, their role in, in this campaign. And then there was another speaker from um, an eating disorders organisation talking about how they approached the Cancer Council to try and kind of change the messaging to make it more supportive of people with mental illness and particularly eating disorders. And they had this PowerPoint slide up. And on the PowerPoint slide, they had a stick figure of a person and then they had a stick figure of the person with their head chopped off. And that was the image that they used to talk about how their, their original approach and how combined approach put the head back on the body of yeah. the person and um, was, lived happily ever after. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's kind of delightful in its naivety, but it's pretty deadly. Like when you think that people with mental illness, they're probably about the same amount of people get cancer as the general population, but people with a mental illness are more likely to die early of cancer because they don't get offered screening or they don't, if they need surgery, they don't get surgery or there's long delays um, for surgery. So they end up having higher mortality rates than the general population because of those issues around their, their mental illness. So it has deadly consequences, this separation of um, mind and body. Yeah, we're just not set up no. properly to look after like entire people with heads. No. No, that's right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it, yeah, it is, it is really... I mean, do you think it's changing? Do you think that there's like a recognition that we might need to actually do things differently? I think 
there is a growing recognition and I think like the equally well um, consensus statement has been a really good thing in raising awareness that there is an issue and um, the need to to tackle it together and I think one of the positive things about equally well is that it's um being led very much by people with lived experience of mental illness rather than the so-called experts. So what is Equally Well? So Equally Well is an initiative that started in New Zealand. So it was um, started to raise awareness and to, as a kind of collective impact project, to get people on, like raise awareness, then get people on board to start doing things within their own organisations to improve the um, mental or the physical health of people with mental illness. So there's been a range of different kind of initiatives taken by um, different health services or mental health services or, you know, things like representative bodies of the different professions. So in Australia, it was launched, uh, I think it was in 2017. And then, so they've had all of these organisations sign up in partnership. So yeah, so earlier this year, Hayes Australia signed up um, as a supporter of the Equally Well Statement. Yeah. So it's like in terms of non-diet and weight neutral or weight inclusive content like it's not perfect but I think it's heading in the right direction and I think we need to be in there to be influencing so that diet culture doesn't kind of sink its tentacles into into people with mental illness. Yeah. Well, I think we're on a winning streak because already Equally Well is absolutely 100% not funded by Novo nor Disc. Yeah, that's right. So that's a positive. Yeah, we have, we have no big pharma company secretly trying to sell weight loss drugs out of this initiative. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing, like, that we need honest collectives. Yeah. Of, and it's lovely because it, it has been started by someone, uh, what's her name? Um, so, yeah. Uh, Carrie Swanson was someone, so she's a person with lived experience and she's a champion of Equally Well in New Zealand. Yes, yes, she's awesome. Yeah, she's incredible. So earlier this year, I had the privilege of going to the first Equally Well Symposium in Melbourne and Caro um, did one of the first keynote speakers with, I can't remember the name. The other lady. The other lady. (laughs) (laughs) We'll put her in the show notes, sorry. (laughs) So she was fascinating and like as she was speaking, I was like wanting to stand up and applaud her because of just, you know, being able to speak so honestly about her experience and raising her concerns about the issue. So yeah, so in her talk, she was talking about how of the past history of being treated in mental health services and kind of having that power and control taken away and these expert clinicians coming in and calling the shots. And so she was worried that this initiative would be just like every other initiative and leave people with lived experience out. Yeah, yeah. You mean like the push-up challenge? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, so the other kind of concern that Caro had was that um, people with mental illness are under intense scrutiny a lot of the time. And she says, uh, she said in her speech, now you're going to put the rest of our lives under scrutiny too. So not only do we have to reveal our deepest, darkest thoughts, not only do they get examined, talked about and judged by people we don't even know, but now you're going to start looking at our physical health and making judgments there as well. Oh, yeah. A really powerful statement. Yeah, that's like standing ovation. That's that needs to be said. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, because like so many like well-intentioned people will swan in on horseback, raving yeah. about lifestyle choices and sugar yeah. and stuff. And yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. From the experience of someone who, like she says, so scrutinised. Yeah, absolutely. And I've seen that like in my own practice as well. So working with, um, you know, I worked with a man with schizophrenia who lived in a supported residential service. And so the, um, they were concerned about his, his um, weight gain. And so mm-hmm. he also had diabetes. So some of the staff at the, the supported residential service were picking on him about his food choices. Oh, really? that he had chip packets and things like that around his bed uh, bedroom and then bottles of coke and stuff lying around yeah oh god when the dietitian started having a chat to him we had a um a chat together and um it was like that he was hungry after hours the staff had gone home and the only food that was available was from a vending machine so yeah but, oh, you know, no choice about what he was eating. He ate what was available. So I think often people are scrutinised in a way that can be really unfair, particularly if people are in situations where they're either involuntary patients or uh, whether they're living in supported accommodation and things like that, with, um, or even on low incomes where people don't have yeah. the money to be able to afford. Yeah, yeah, eating, eating well um, in terms of like lots of variety and unprocessed and fresh and all that blah 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 yeah that's a real privilege yeah absolutely and lots of people are just doing the best they can to to eat regularly yeah and everyone should just back off really yeah that's right (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know yes organic foods may be slightly more nutritious but if you're on a um, disability support pension then and you're choosing where you're going to spend your money then you're probably going to forego the organic produce. (laughs) And also if you have to pay for your medications, then there's real choices to be made. And I mean, that that really pisses me off, that story about that poor guy. Because like if he is, if he has long-term schizophrenia and he's on antipsychotic medication, he could eat kale morning, noon and night and still be in a larger body. Yeah, that's right. It it is not a behaviour that has changed his weight. No, that's like right. Taking that medication increases yeah. body weight. Yeah. Full stop. Yeah. So, you know, shut up. Yeah, that's right. I remember one of my clients saying, hey, I'd rather be fat than, than have psychotic episodes. <laughs> like, mm. What do you yeah. want me to do, Doc? Like, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, yeah, in my time working with people with mental illness like, and psychosis in particular, I've probably met one or two that are kind of entertained by their voices and would miss them if they went away. But the majority, uh, oh, it's terrible. Yeah, are really, yeah, terrified by them. So yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah it's it's pretty full on stuff. Yeah, I watched a bit of an interview with Caro, uh, <laughs> and, and she was quoted. She said um, she was talking about feeling picked on about her weight and scrutinised about her weight in mental health, and she says. Um, Monthly girth measurements don't do anything for my mental health. (laughs) (laughs) I love that statement. (laughs) How it is. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) What a great point. Mm. So so the point of equally well, like it's a collaboration and it's it's to it's involving and centering people living with mental illness and trying to help support physical health in an equitable way is that is sort of right 
Yeah, that's right. So yeah. in that like consensus statement, they've got a number of um, different areas. So like prevention's one, early intervention's another, you know, treatment's another one, and then they've got some suggested actions. So yeah, so services can kind of yeah who have signed up are kind of expected to take some action around yeah. supporting the physical health of people with mental illness. So I think Carrie's statement there is about the girth measurements is um you know people getting on the bandwagon and going yeah okay like we'll put everyone on the scales and we'll take their waist circumference and um, that's our job done tick. <laughs> So I think um, we need to really be thinking critically about those methods that are used in routine treatment for the general population and just really think about how we, there may be occasions where those types of measurements are, are really important, but we need to think about how we introduce them to the client and then how we, you know, ask for consent to take those measurements. And if the person says no, then accepting that and Mm. focusing on other things that matter more to them yeah I'm really glad that Hayes Australia is getting in there with equally well because I think we do need to be like the weight neutral people (laughs) and and really raise that voice because one of the recommendations that I read in their consensus statement says I'm going to quote it Obesity is a major contributor to a number of common physical diseases, including metabolic syndrome, diabetes, and cardiovascular disease. People living with mental illness should be offered tailored support for weight management programs as part of routine care. Yep. So as soon as that, like, tailored support for weight measurement programs, like, that, it doesn't matter if it's tailored support for stuff that doesn't work. Mm, that's right. Yeah. Like... That, that just ticked, like you said, it just ticks the box of like these organisations feeling like they're doing the right thing yep. when the critical thought really needs to be, what are we doing? Why? Yeah. What's the efficacy? Yeah, that's right. And, you know, if it doesn't work in the general population to lose weight <laughs> long term through, you know, lifestyle interventions or, you know, medications or whatever, then, you know, why is it going to work with people with um, with mental illness who may experience disadvantage or may kind of lead more disrupted lives so um, yeah 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 it's like people up to fail I think yeah yes and if we're talking about people who have had even more acute multiple experiences of hardship and difficulty and trauma yep then like we, we just can't ethically do it no no, that's right. And especially when um, within kind of mental health services, there's been like this real kind of consumer push towards recovery over the last 20 plus years. So one of the things about recovery is about having hope and, um, and empowerment and connection. So I think dieting approaches, they're um, the opposite of that kind of, you know, connected embodiment that we're trying to kind of encourage. Yeah. And yeah. Like, dash people's hopes when they lose a little bit and then regain it back or just like add another mental illness right yeah yeah Yeah. and also that it's another disconnection like yeah yeah, try and control the body size as if that's going to impact health there's so many beautiful pathways to improving health yep that have bugger all to do with weight yeah absolutely (laughs) (laughs) oh dear yeah so I think like I think what's really needed is that we need a lot more training um, for health professionals and uh, particularly people who 
like in occupational therapy, like our profession started in mental health. So our training is kind of equally weighted towards mental health and physical health. But I recognise that not all um, health professionals um, or health professions come from that kind of background. So I think everybody needs a basic understanding of yeah psychology and kind of mental illnesses as well as mental health. But also kind of that trauma-informed um, care training as well is really really important um, so that we don't kind of further traumatize people through what we do. I couldn't agree more and I don't think the trauma-informed stuff has to include all the social justice stuff and people understanding their own privilege when they're coming yeah. into that area and not doing the kind of white guy push-up thing Yeah, because yeah intent like you have great intent to help people but yeah. do a lot of harm mm. just, just by not not getting it not sitting in the seat of the person who you're trying to help. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I suppose, yeah, there's also lived experience is really important, but I think we need to recognise their own own personal lived experience doesn't is not the same as every other person's lived, um, lived experience. So there's, um, yeah, you know, there's different experiences of, of mental mm. illness and physical health and mm. all of those kinds of things. So we need to really listen to people's individual stories and, yeah, and also look at the big picture and, and the history of what's gone before as well. Yeah, and not lose not lose our memories about how much awful stuff has been done to people in the yeah. name of, like, mental health. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, um, yeah. Yeah, we've done some pretty shitty things. Yeah, that's right. Like, one of the things that I like to do on when I go somewhere is, that, you know, if they've got a, a prison or if they've got a old psychiatric hospital or hospital museum or something I'll always pop in and have a look I love doing that too (laughs) (laughs) it's like it's fascinating but really disturbing and I think it really kind of highlights just the history of you know human rights abuses that have happened within the justice system but also within the um, the mental health system as well so I think yeah having an understanding of that history really kind of yeah, makes you think differently about how how you do your work and yeah. emphasises the importance of just listening to people and giving people power and control where you can. Yeah, and informed consent and, yeah, yeah all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. And weight management programs are not part of that. Like I really think weight management programs are our modern-day equivalent of like one flew over the cuckoo's nest style therapy it's not that's right so yeah I was just thinking the straight jacket so yeah. um who was it that said that um dieting is like a political sedative yes is it Naomi Wolf it was yeah I think it was Naomi Wolf her or Janine Greer I can't remember yeah 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 we've got to be careful so I'm just heartened to know that equally well can face off against people like Obesity Australia, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I hope so. Like that just the collective voice can really champion the needs of people with mental illness to be represented. And I think like if people gain weight because of the medications they're on, then I don't think just adding another medication is the solution. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think they need to invest their money in creating better antipsychotic medications and better antidepressant medications that don't carry the, the same side effect profile and don't screw with people's um, metabolic health. That's where the money should be invested rather than, you know, making larger people smaller. Yeah, absolutely. In terms That's... of, you know, what's 
needed in the world and would make the world a better place. Like I think, yeah, yeah. creating better better drugs for people with mental illness is um, where I'd put my money. Yeah, I'd be right there with you. Yep. So if anyone listening would like to donate money to an organisation that's not Headspace, <laughs> I'm thinking equally well could be could be something really nice, like really well invested. Absolutely. And they definitely wouldn't have a push-up challenge. It could be just a sitting quietly and smiling challenge. It doesn't have to be. Health is just so much more than doing a push-up. Thank you so much for that. That was amazing, that conversation. Yeah, no worries. It's um, yeah, it's like it's a big area, lots to talk about, but hopefully it's kind of yeah, giving people a bit to think about, and yeah, I really hope that the equally well campaign um, does create some change and also brings on board some of those physical health orientated people to kind of learn about um, the impact of mental illness on people's health and how they can work together um, to yeah. improve outcomes for people. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. Cool. No worries. Thanks for having me, Louise. Oh, thank you so much, Caroline. That was a wonderful conversation. Just so fascinating and so needed. Thank you for everything that you do and everything that you're doing to change things in this space. If you want to find out more about Carolyn and everything awesome that she is doing, you can find her um, on Twitter at Carolyn underscore capital O-T. So I'm going to spell it for you. So it's at Carolyn, which is spelled capital C-A-R-O-L-Y-N-N-E and then underscore and then capital O-T. So she's really good at Twitter and I definitely am not, but she's awesome and always there. So that's the best place to follow her. You can also, I'll put up on the show notes, her Swinburne research uh, stuff. So you can figure out everything else that she's doing academically. You can also find her at the Hayes Australia website uh, where you can find out much more about everything that Hayes Australia is doing around Australia and what we're trying to achieve. In It's a pretty young organisation, but we're, we're really got some interesting plans moving forward. So hayesaustralia.org.au for more information on that. So that is this week's episode. Uh, I want to say thank you again for everyone for all of your support. Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss episodes as they come out. And if you're feeling really generous and loving, please go and give us a five-star rating or review because uh, the more people that find out about this podcast, the more people will push back and the more likely it is that Weight Watchers will finally sink to the bottom of the ocean and die a slow and horrible death like it deserves. So thank you again, everybody. I look forward to chatting to you again very, very soon. In the meantime, trust no one, think critically, push back against diet culture, untrap from the crap. Mm-hmm.